Welcome to Building Better Businesses, an ABA podcast. Learn firsthand from business owners who built successful ABA businesses. Utilize proven techniques and strategies to help your practice thrive. This is Building Better Businesses, an ABA podcast with Jonathan Mueller. Matt Sicoria is the producer and host of the Behavioral Observations podcast, downloaded more than three and a half million times. He's been a BCBA for 20 years, and for the past 15 years, he's consulted with schools and families in private practice through his company, Positive Behavioral Supports. Matt, welcome to the pod. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me to uh, chat with you for a little bit. You know, we were dishing about Wayne's World um, a little bit ago. I feel, I don't know if you remember, Matt, the, the scene in Wayne's World where they meet their idol, Alice Cooper, for the first time as Dana Carvey and uh, uh, Mike Myers. And then like they see Alice Cooper and they get down on their hands and knees and they're like bowing, saying, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. That, like, that's how I feel right now. Like I am not worthy, uh, but I, I am so pumped to have this conversation. With you. Oh, man. Well, uh, that's incredibly humbling. And I, I might suggest that you, uh, you know, perhaps upgrade your 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 idols there. If I'm, if I'm... <laughs> ah, touche. Absolutely. Well. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, this, is a, this is a treat. So thanks so much again for uh, inviting me to, to come talk with you for a little bit. I love talking about behavior analysis and podcasting and everything else, uh, I suppose, in between. Oh, man. Well, you know, being a great interviewer, Matt, means just being curious. And how did you learn to like excel at being curious? Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple of things that came to me naturally is uh, one is is that you know as behavior analysts we spend a lot of time talking to families and teachers and stakeholders and so i i think there's a bit of a natural interviewer in uh all of us in this in this world um so i, I from so i think there's just you know that's probably the easy answer um mm. Uh, but I, th I think in addition to that, there is a, uh, I, I'm always the guy sitting in a conference presentation who's up at, you know, kind of asking questions in my head to the person giving the talk, you know, mm. uh, in other words, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, so like, well, how was that study done or what, what is the, you know, there's, you know, um, uh, what made you choose this as a particular topic or, you know, well, well why didn't you have enough, you know, uh, participants in this, you know, or whatever, whatever it might be. So I'm always kind of reacting. Mm -hmm. I always has kind of an internal monologue going on that, that, uh, that's like kind of asking questions. And so when I sat down to, I guess, create the concept of the podcast, I wanted to be the, uh, I wanted to be conversational, you know, I didn't want it to be like, you know, question, answer, question, answer. Um, and I also wanted to be such that, that, that I got the opportunity to ask those yeah, but questions that I was saying to myself, essentially, when I'm in a, the audience of say, like, a, a, you know, whether it's a conference or on a webinar or something like that, you know, so, and, and I want one of the audience to be like a fly on the wall. Uh, you know, if I pulled someone aside at a conference and had a coffee or with them or had a beer with them or something like that, and I was, you know, saying, well, yeah, well, what about this? You know, well, I tried that and this didn't work. 
So what do you think about that? Or what do you think is going on here? You know, uh, or, or I'm stuck. I, and this is what's going on with me and, uh, or this case or what have you. And just kind of, you know, I guess riffing along those lines. And again, with the audience being, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, flies on the wall to, to, to kind of he hear that conversation. So that that's the kind of, I, I just kind of put myself in the place of just about any audience member, I suppose, uh, in, in, in a mm. venue. I, you know, it really resonates. Um, going to conferences is one of the things that absolutely fills my bucket, right? Reconnecting with, um, uh, with people whom I haven't seen in a long time or meeting new people. And what's, um, what I've always loved about conferences is what you just described is being able to like have a side conversation for 15, 20 minutes or two hours, whatever it is, and get to know that person and what motivates them really deeply. So that's really neat. But let me ask, so if you're in a big conference room, right? Like the keynote presentation, where do you sit? Are you one to go sit in the very front to sit in the back, <laughs> somewhere in between? Oh man. Uh, I have, uh, I have sat in all of the above, I suppose, over the years. Uh, I, um, and it also depends on, uh, I suppose the availability. So if I had my choice, mm. it, it would depend on, on what it is. I, I think the, the more familiar I am with the presenter and the topic, probably there's, there's probably a, a, a correlational relationship with how close like the proximity I have with the, uh, you know, so if it's like one of my friends presenting, I, I I've sat in the front row. Um, you know, so if it's someone I know, or if it's a mm. topic I'm really excited about to learn, uh, and as I think, you know, if we're all being candid here, there's been times where we're like, well, you know, I'm not so sure about this particular talk. I'm, it's something I don't know a lot about. I don't, I'm not familiar with the, with the presenter. I might sit in the back. <laughs> so. Right. Right. Absolutely. Oh, preserve the right to go like grab a CEO or go to a different session for that, for sure. You know, I've always yeah. been a sit in the front kind of person. And I don't know why, but um, yeah. I don't know. The thing yeah. about making eye contact, like you know, being a presenter and, and knowing how like, you know, it's pretty intimidating, but you see that friendly face making eye contact and smiling back and you're like, oh, the world is just good. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know, I went to the verbal behavior conference in April and uh, I sat uh, kind of uh, it was actually, it's a really cool venue. It's a cool conference uh, more generally, but the, uh, so they, they, they have actual tables as well as chairs. So it's, it's nice, mm. to, you know, so you can have your laptop up. It's not like sitting literally in your lap, like it is sometimes at an ABAI. And uh, I, I sat pretty front and center and I had the table in front of me. So I was able to make notes and be a, be a good audience member is to the extent to which I, you know, was able to, do so so yeah I, I understand that for sure nice it's uh you know i'm always surprised i try to like close my laptop and take manual notes so like i'm not distracted by email but i'm the person sitting next to people who's like i'm passing notes to them asking questions i'm like leaning over whispering so full disclosure. oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, know, I, I, yes. can, I can be annoying but pleasantly annoying Sure, sure. Um, but I need someone to like share an experience with. And I think that yeah. comes back to the idea of like having casual conversations, like shared experience and learning feels like the most powerful thing we do as human beings. Um, tell me about the, the behavioral, your behavioral observations podcast. And I'm still just blown away by the, like three and a half million downloads. But like what I'm really curious about is um, like what have been your highest highs and your lowest lows on that journey? Yeah. Wow. Uh, there's been a, a lot of the former, uh, I suppose. Um, so it's hard to pick. So I, 
uh, I suppose most recently it would be one of the coolest things that it's been an outcome of the podcast is the relationship with the journal of applied behavior analysis that, uh, you know, that uh, mm. there was the brainchild of the Dr. Linda LeBlanc and, you know, so we've been doing this inside Java series podcast for the last couple of years, actually. Uh, we just published the 12th mm. in the series, which has been uh, a lot of fun. Uh, her term as the editor in chief is coming to a close. Uh, and yep. uh, I've met uh, Dr. John Barrero. I had lunch with him in Boston at ABAI. And uh, he is just a seriously nice guy. And, um, Anyway, uh, he's really excited about continuing it. Thank goodness. Uh, so I'm, I'm, gl I'm glad. I'm glad he, you know, he he's listened to the occasional uh, behavioral observations episode, and mm. uh, you know, so uh, so I'm excited to have that continue. One of the things that was an outcome of that is that uh, I was invited to. There's there's a uh, dinner that's hosted at every ABBA, and I didn't know about this mm. until recently. I don't go to every single ABBA either, so you know. Um, but it's a uh, it's a dinner put on by uh, SEAB, which publishes Java and the Journal of Appli uh, the Experimental Analysis of Behavior as well. Mm. Uh, and so it's the the editors in chief and a lot of people on the editorial boards, and you know, and some of those people will bring their grad students as well. So it's this uh, you know just big milieu of the you know a, a, a lot of the really you know, uh, productive and current names in behavioral research and practice more tilted mm -hmm. towards research, of course, given that they're, these are research journals, mm -hmm. but uh, it was a real moment where like, uh, this is, this is definitely like, uh, you know, I, I feel like I don't belong. I'm not a, I don't have a PhD. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist practice, a practicing scientist in the research sense. Um, uh, in the in the publication sense, if you will, uh, but it was cool to be there, and and uh, and it was, I met a ton of people, and uh, both Linda and John, you know, ever and there's a lot of speech making and stuff like that. Linda and John gave me a couple of shout outs uh, uh, when they were presenting to the group and whatnot. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, so uh, that that's that that was that's definitely one of many I could have chosen as as a highlight. I, there's been a bunch. As far as lowest lows, I, you know, I get to talk into a microphone at home with lots of cool people. And so I, I'm really struggling to, to, to pick a lowest low, to be perfectly honest with you, Jonathan. I, I guess, you know, yeah, so I, I really don't know uh, to, what, what a good answer to that would be. I, I would say that, uh, you know, this is kind of personal, but I, I'll share it anyway, I guess. But uh, uh, when the podcast first started, uh, when I first started it, um, you know, there were some folks uh, in, in my family were like, what is this? You're spending a lot of time on it. And, you know, um, is this really, is it worth it? Because you're spending a lot of energy on this. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, <laughs> um, and, uh I really felt that that strong, you know, strongly that uh, it it was worth the investment, uh, and mm. um, you know, and, and so I'm, you know, I, I 
kind of stuck to my convictions, uh, which is kind of unusual for me. I'm kind of a people pleaser. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's the I guess the one time I, I I I did. It's like no, I this is the right course for me right now, and I I feel that the the amount of time and attention is worthwhile, um, even if it comes at a you know. Um, you know, even if it, you know, make means, you know, working evenings and weekends and things like that. And I've since been able to kind of reshuffle responsibilities and whatnot. So it doesn't take as much of a bite as out of my, my personal family time. But for a while there is like, is this really worth it? You know, and, and uh, so there was a lot of those kind of tough conversations uh, with, the, with the family, uh, particularly with my wife. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've been able to, uh, to, to, to make it work and have behavioral observations kind of fit into my other professional activities. Uh, you know, it's amazing. And I, I totally agree with you. Like getting to have amazing conversations with amazing people. Like there's nothing, there's nothing better than this, but it's, it's really easy to like reflect back at like three and a half million downloads. So clearly been, I would guess successful beyond any measure, but like, do you, as we think about goal setting, right. Especially as leaders, think about setting goals for their organizations or for personal development. Like had you set out, like when you started the podcast to set specific goals and say, I'm going to be successful when I hit X or achieve Y, or was it a let's, I've got conviction around this and I'm going to dig in and just get after it. Yeah. I think it's probably the latter. Uh, I never, I never, because, you know, in podcasting, you know, this, 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 you know, you don't get a plaque or, or, uh, you know, you know, no, no one comes with like the, the publisher's clearinghouse check to your door. Once you hit a certain number of downloads, uh, you might need to put a, a Wikipedia reference to that, uh, in the show notes for, you know, the, the, the non, uh, <laughs> perhaps for, for younger listeners, but I like um, it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's no, but, uh, you know, so, uh, uh it's gratifying to get downloads, uh, um, but it's not like, uh, you know, I've earned like a dollar a download or something like that, you know, and I'm, you know, uh, lighting cigars with hundred dollar bills, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I, th I th but I, I, but I, I did always, I always had the conviction that um, it's interesting to use that word because I think it's, 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 it's a good fit here. I always knew that there was an audience for this podcast. And that might be weird for some members of the audience to listen to, depending on where they're where they are on their timeline in this mm. business. Now, I would imagine most people who are owning ABA businesses are probably closer to the, um, you know, in, in in more senior areas in the field. Whereas my audience is probably skewed a lot younger, so maybe mm -hmm. make more sense for for your audience than than mine. Um, but at the time, there, you know, when I started behavioral observations, there, there was no active ABA or behavior analytic podcast at all. Uh, there were people who started and stopped. Um, and uh, so I, you know, and I, so I, I, when I first discovered podcasts, I was like, these things are awesome. So I started listening to podcasts about like my, you know, sports teams and other areas yeah. of interest and things like that. I spent a lot, a lot of time driving, driving around the car, you know, across rural New England, visiting schools and other places. And, you know, I just couldn't find something to, that I want to listen to in this line of work. And I was thinking, wow, I'm wasting all this time just kind of driving around, flipping through the radio dial or listening to, you know, podcasts yeah. that are, you know, that are, that are fun and interesting, but aren't ultimately mm. like, I could be like learning stuff, you mm. know, um, 
and so I, you know, that I guess that's a, a, a backdoor way of, uh, you know, describing how I, you know, how I thought of the, to do the podcast in the first place. And um, mm. yeah, so there wasn't that, that there wasn't something like that at the time. And you know, it kind of led me to think, well, maybe I can, maybe I can do something like this. And I had a buddy of mine who was super mm -hmm. techie and also very enthusiastic. And, you know, so he kind of helped me help. Uh, we, we kind of together discovered the process of how to produce a podcast, which at the time was, you know, uh, I would say the, the, the response effort was a lot higher at, at that time right now. Like you can, download the anchor app and you know have a podcast up and going you know in an hour you know uh, yeah so which is great you know and uh but anyway I, I don't know where i was going with that but um yeah so it, it's uh it's been it's been a it's been a fun it's been a fun ride for sure yeah you're i mean like it, i know we like so many of uh, listeners on this podcast are entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs you know hoping to start a practice like yeah. you, what you yeah. did is the pure definition of entrepreneurship. And when I say pure definition, I mean, you said there's a, there's a gap in the world. There, there's something that does not exist. And I'm going to be crazy enough to think I'm going to make that exist. Probably to the chagrin of many out there. Right. Like, and that's what mm -hmm. be, that, that's part of the hard part of being an entrepreneur. It's like channeling a little bit of this inner crazy that I can do something that hasn't existed before and fill a niche and provide value. There's so much power in that. Yeah, well, I appreciate the observation. Um, you know, I I, uh, I I remember you know I remember chatting with Greg Hanley. Kind of uh, this wasn't on the podcast, uh, but um, and he said it a lot more, uh, I guess, uh, uh, deftly than I'm about to. But I'll pay, I suppose to paraphrase. Like, we we're joking around about how we. You know how we i cold emailed him uh the blue and for a long time i had to tell people what a podcast was before inviting them to come on a podcast so it's like a, you know it'd be like you know podcast. no wait, wait. you had to tell people like oh, explain podcast oh absolutely abso absolutely absolutely i don't know if he was one of them or not but um and, sure. and and i'm not and i'm not saying this to be ageist or anything like that either but you know sure. uh, especially as a you know a, someone with uh more gray hair than not but uh you know the, you know that that some of you know the the frank quite frankly you know when i've interviewed people who are uh, especially early on like podcasting now is a household term and it wasn't yeah. i guess you know uh, uh six or seven years ago um so i, I um so anyway, so I remember emailing him. Say, hey, my name's Matt. I got this podcast that I'm, that's coming out. I had, it hasn't hadn't even been out yet, you know. And so like, Greg was. I think he was trying to pay me a compliment, and he was like, you know, he, he's like, uh, I'm trying to keep this PG, um, but uh, basically he's like that. He's like it, it you know. It, it took a lot of uh, stones to do that, you know, to call up people out of the blue and like people were like, who the hell is this guy? Matt who, you know, um, yeah. and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm highly paraphrasing here to make this, uh, you know, family yeah. friendly, but it was, it's kind of funny. Oh my gosh. That's extraordinary. Well, again, like another, uh, behavior of an entrepreneur is just being willing to pick up the phone or send a cold email and, uh, convince people to do something. Uh, I'm sure everyone answers your emails and picks up the phone now when you call, wait, I, I want to get, 
when I, when, when I uh, recently, you did an episode on the behavior analysis of lying and I'm, oh man, this is just fascinating to me. You, like, tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, so that was an interview I did with a, a really neat guy named Dr. Corey Stocko, uh, who I got to meet in person at ABAI at that at said say up dinner. Uh, he's super, super neat guy. Uh, and, and yeah, so I, I'm going to probably do a terrible job of paraphrasing the work that he and his colleagues done, but they've done some original research in the area of the like kind of conceptual and, and, and some empirical testing about around the concept of lying. And so they made these kind of, mm. you know, these, these experimental analogs, they, which is a fancy way of saying they, you know, create these fake situations where um, kids were put in a situation where they, they could lie if they wanted to. Uh, and mm. I, I won't go into the details and, and he goes through the details pretty thoroughly in, in the podcast of that episode. And I can send you the link if you want to include that in your show notes. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it's really fascinating. And, and some of the, some of the findings, uh, and some of the background conceptual work that, that he shared with me, uh, in, in the general area of, of, you know, deception, if you will, uh, mm. is pretty interesting. And a lot of the research suggests that, and this won't come as a surprise to anyone with, you know, kind of common experiences to draw upon is that, you know, lying usually occurs in, when there is some sort of transgression, some sort of behavioral transgression that's, that's, that, that someone wants to cover up and they want to avoid the, mm. the aversives that come along with uh, engaging in that transgression, you know, so... Hmm. Um, you know, so that, so yeah, so it's just, it's, it's pretty cool. One, one of the things I really enjoyed about that episode is that, you know, my background's in experimental psychology. So I'm, uh, you know, I, and that is the, you know, and that was back when I, you know, I went to my undergrad and grad school at a time where there were no standalone behavior analytic departments. Mm. Um, again, something that, that is probably, um, uh, news to a lot of younger listeners, you know, there was, and right now there's all these standalone ABA programs. Um, and, uh, at the time it was very difficult to get behavior analytic training because they were, they were hidden in these like psychology departments mm. across the United mm. States and, and Canada. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, one of the things I, I, you know, I, I kind of, have some nostalgia for for behavior analysis being a, under the umbrella of psychology is that mm -hmm. uh, it, it is using behavior analytic conceptual and research tools to under to to, to examine everyday phenomena. Mm. You know, lying mm -hmm. being you know, and this this would be lying is a perfect example of that. You know, why do people lie? Why do people tell the truth? You know, what you know, how does that? Uh, I mean, what 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 are the, what are the reinforcers and uh, that and uh, you know aversives that kind of uh, uh, influence those 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 verbal repertoires? Mm. Uh, and, and so I, I I think there's a lot of things like that we could still explore. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things that that that's kind of a, a bummer about being kind of siloed in the in the autism industrial complex that we find ourselves in <laughs> you know there's so much attention going towards you know that rightfully so that which you know in other words what i'm not saying is we should not do that we should uh, it's more of a yes and instead of a yeah but i guess 
Uh, the autism industrial complex I, that's a that that evokes um, like specific imagery. But I what I'm fascinated by is tell me if I get this right. Lying the function of lying is a as avoidance, and the antecedent is usually some transgression of behavior. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. It's like you know, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, I have three kids and they get assigned various chores. Sometimes the chores are easier to shirk if they're not uh, because the, the, there's not as you know as you know, the, the permanent product may may be variable if you will uh, you know so uh, so uh, we have a cat and uh, three times a week the, the, we've decided I have three kids so we've decided that three times a week the cat box needs to be uh, you know emptied and mm -hmm. or changed or cleaned or whatever um, and um, they're actually pretty honest when they don't do it. And they, um, <laughs> but, you know, you can imagine the scenario where they say, oh, yes, I did when they didn't do it, you know. And so, you know, lying in that case mm -hmm. would be uh, that the function of that would be to um, avoid whatever grief we would give them uh, based off of uh, them, mm -hmm. not, you know, not, not doing their chores, essentially. Um, you know, so that's, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, yeah. there's some, you know, there's a lot of rule governance uh, involved, I, th I think as well, you know, but I, I think those broader questions like moral development and things like that, I mean, that's kind of an old timey or old fashioned term, but you know, uh, mm. what, what, you know, how do we, uh, how, how do we, how do we, how do those repertoires get developed and shaped over time? You know, you could look at the same thing about, you know, concepts like impulsivity and all, all sorts of other things mm -hmm. that are, you know, there's a lot more work on impulsivity in, in behavioral science broadly, you know, so there's a lot of work on that in like uh, the develop, uh, the, the delayed discounting world. And, you know, there's some, there's some pretty good behavioral economic models of impulsivity that are out there. Those, those were all, those questions were all asked and, and for a large extent, to a large extent answered um and behavior analytic laboratories so it's those kind of you know kind of uh human nature questions i think that i would i would love more exploration of uh from from a behavior analytic lens as opposed to something that that appeals to you know stuff that are that's more so grounded in hypothetical constructs mm, yeah well how do you prepare to interview some of these legends in our, our field, the Jonathan Tarbox and Greg Handley's and others? Well, I would start off by saying that a lot of these people are, are so down to earth. Uh, and um, sometimes you hear of stories of people like, well, you know, I met so-and-so at a conference and they were a real, you know, bleepity bleep. You know, um, you know, that saying, never meet your heroes, right? Uh, and um, uh, I, I almost to a person have, have found completely the opposite, um, you know, so, and, and, and I think there's an added um, wind at, at my back because you're asking someone to talk about something they're so insanely interested in, they've devoted their lives mm -hmm. to studying it. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're going to get some enthusiasm out of, out of just about anybody mm -hmm. uh, when you, when you, when you ask them questions mm -hmm. about their, their, their life's work. Right. So 
there's there's uh you know i feel you know it's so I, I think from that standpoint it's it's my job as 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 the interviewer is you know is 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 easier than it would be to say to mm-hmm. interviewing a, a politician uh and getting them to you know go on record about some you know some thorny issue or something like that um so i'm not trying to yeah. wheedle information out of anybody or i'm not like a like a like a prosecutor or something like that you know um uh so there's a lot of a lot of stuff going in my favor and and a a lot of these people are just incredibly down to earth and they they want they want the audience to know what you know what they're what they're doing they want to you know a lot of people want to communicate successfully with the audience and and they've got a message Mm -hmm. they want to commit here's something too that to, to consider Uh, you know, with, with regard to, you know, if, if I added up the downloads for all my Hanley episodes, uh, it's easily over. I apologize. There's UPS deliveries and there's a construction going on at my house. So this is going to be, and I have two dogs. So, um, all good. Uh, you know, but anyway, uh, so, you know, the, 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 these folks, again, they're, they're incredibly down to earth. Um, they, they, they want you to do well. They want to convey you know their information and and coming on behavioral observations is an opportunity for them to talk to thousands and thousands of behavior analysts mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. if you think of how many times someone will actually read a java article i have an issue i can't reach it but it, like i can you know about five feet away from me is is, is the latest issue of java uh and it's the size mm-hmm. of the textbook it's it's literally like an inch and a half thick um and not every and 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 what there's like fifty or sixty thousand board certified behavior analysts right now. I, I've lost mm-hmm. count. Um, they're not all going to read. You know, I, I I would I would shudder to think about what the what the numbers are in terms of the people who, uh, you know, re- read the articles. It's it's, it's probably mm-hmm. uh, it's probably low. And and to be perfectly uh, honest with you, Jonathan, I I don't read all the articles, but I do look through and kind of see what's going on and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like I look at the pictures, if you will, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, but it's an opportunity. So my, my big point is that, you know, if, if I write an article in Java, it's probably going to be read by low f- f- triple digit numbers of people, mm. you know, um, mm-hmm. if someone comes on behavioral observations, their message is going to be heard by, you know upwards of, you know, five, eight, 10,000 people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the the topic and the, and the guest, uh, sometimes, and, and more over time, but mm-hmm. that's like within the first, you know, uh, week to, to 30 days or so, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, it, it's a force multiplier in terms of communication mm-hmm. within the field. Uh, yeah. So, so that, that, that's another incentive for someone to want to come on the show and, 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 and talk about the stuff that they're doing. It's it, this is really interesting to me because when we think about this idea of like dissemination and my what you're doing is de- dissemination. Now you're also providing CEU events and, and education and all kinds of things we'll talk about in a moment. But um, like Tony, as a podcast host who's reaching eight, ten, fifteen thousand people um, every episode, like what do you feel is your responsibility to dissemination in our field? 
I've thought about this a lot, and I, I honestly sometimes don't feel like the behavioral observations is disseminating. It's it, it if it to the extent to which it disseminates, it disseminates within the field. Mm. Here's what I mean by that: it might disseminate kind of lesser known topics to practitioners in the field who, who didn't get that material in the first place. So, for example, when I whenever I have a guest on that that um, is talking about precision teaching and the standard acceleration chart. Uh, it's a real, it's, it's a, it's not practice. It's not taught anymore, unfortunately, uh, unless you go to mm -hmm. like certain, unless you go to a specific programs or have a specific instructor who's, you know, um, understands the value of looking at data in, in that way. Um, it's not required for the exam, you know, so that it, mm -hmm. it, so it and it's always been kind of like this kind of boutique -y thing uh, in our field. Uh, and it just, for various reasons, uh, it just, it never caught onto the mainstream of behavior analysis. Uh, and, and if you look in Java, I don't think, uh, I, I don't, someone might catch me. Uh, this might not be, it, it's, it's, it's close enough to whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter, but it's nearly, it's, it's, it's almost, always true but this, i don't think there's ever been a stand a, a, a standard acceleration chart published in java uh, i'm hoping i'm wrong mm. about that and if someone knows of one uh I, I i hope they reach out to me and let me know what it is so it hasn't achieved any type of mainstream relevance unfortunately because i think it's a powerful tool i say unfortunately for a reason mm. and, and so when i have people on talking about this i feel like they're, i'm disseminating within the practitioner base uh, and I think gotcha. that's the same thing. You know, I, I started talking about acceptance and commitment therapy before, you know, before it became kind of cool to do so. Uh, I try to pat myself mm -hmm. on the back. I just kind of stumbled on it, um, you know, and, uh, and, and got a chance to interview some, some, some big people in that area of work. Uh, mm. And even though now I would say ACT is certainly becoming more and more mainstream. It's succeeding way more than say like precision mm -hmm. teaching has. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, but, you know, when I bring topics like that, on, I feel like I'm achieving some level of dissemination. I don't really feel like I'm disseminating mm -hmm. outside of behavior analysis every once in a while. I, I've gotten like one or two emails over the years saying, hey, you know, I had this one guy. He's like, hey, uh, I'm a plumber. My girlfriend is a behavior analyst and she listens to your show. And sometimes it's on when we're driving around the car. And I've learned a lot from it. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. That's like, you know, one of the coolest uh, things that, you know, one of the coolest emails I've gotten. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I, you, boy, boy, totally take it. It's, it's sort of dissemination within the field, but it's not true dissemination. ABA practice owners, are billing and insurance issues getting you down? Well, let me tell you, Element RCM is your answer. Element provides world-class revenue cycle management services, contracting, credentialing, authorizations, billing, and more. Element's your partner, so you can focus on what you love to do, providing the highest quality services to your families and clients. Element's a preferred partner of the Behavioral Health Center of Excellence, and its founders have nearly 20 years of experience owning and operating successful ABA organizations. They understand you. They know that every dollar counts, that integrity is everything. Element works with any practice management system. And Element's not a vendor, they're your partner. So find out more and take a free revenue cycle assessment at elementrcm.ai.
yeah. like my, my follow-up question to that, and this comes from, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a behavior analyst, right? And I'm, I'm not nearly smart enough to be, and I've been in the field over 10 years. And when I first learned about like the power of ABA, like you can change someone's behavior by reshaping their environment. I, I knew I could never go back. And I've used the analogy of like the matrix and Keanu sure. Reeves taking sure. the red pill, but like, so, so I, I feel this like strong desire to help the rest of the world experience what I've experienced and what it's done um, just generally in my life and opening up my eyes. But like how, how do, what, what are your thoughts on how we help the rest of the world um, find out about ABA? Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get to a point where people will be like, they're going to, ABA is going to be a brand name uh, for mm. understanding behavioral phenomenon more generally. I, I'm, 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 mm. I'm not, um, yeah, I just don't, I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen to be perfectly candid with you. Uh, you, you know, what's interesting uh, is uh, there's this book that was published recently called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, and he's made the rounds. on. I, I haven't just to be, uh, you know, just to, uh, I guess, uh, point out here. I have not read the book, uh, but I've, mm. I've, I've, I've heard him interviewed a, 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 in a couple of uh, places uh, and on a couple of different podcasts. And. I will be prepared to revise my opinion if I do end up reading the book and developing a, some other type of appreciation for it. But he, the book is about, if I'm not mistaken, about various aspects of behavior change and things like that. Mm -hmm. and, and in these interviews, James Clear is citing all these kind of like social psychologists and cognitive psychologists about all these behavior change strategies and, and citing these studies as if they're like groundbreaking and things like that. And, and, and I'm like, I, I, you know, and some of the examples I, I, I'm listening to him explain, it's like, wow, we've we've known that for almost a century, you know, like, <laughs> you, know, like you know, um, you know. So if 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 we haven't disseminated by now, I don't know what it will take. Here, here but here's where I'm. So that that's my that's my glass half empty view of dissemination. My glass half full is uh i guess view on dissemination is it's not going to occur through people learning about behavior analysis it's not like they're going to get like uh they're not going to see a you know a um an infographic on facebook i'm like oh oh i get it now that's what causes <laughs> everything to you know it's not that's you know yeah. that's not going to happen um what's going to have well, to the extent to which aba becomes you know materially disseminated it, it will occur through entrepreneurial problem solving. So it's kind of mm. come back to, you know, that where entrepreneur came up and that, you know, it's, it's mm. going to, it's that, that process that you described, you know, someone observing a, 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 a hole in the marketplace, if you will, and mm -hmm. noticing, ah, well, I think I know what will solve that problem. You know, some sort of behavioral solution, mm -hmm. you know, one of the, you know, so I'll give you an example, uh, I, I think would be, uh, you know, I, I still think it, it, it's got a long road ahead of it to where it's mainstream uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the intervention of choice, but, um, or standard of care, I suppose, but uh, there's a robust literature in 
whether it's alcohol or substance use disorders, uh, called contingency management. Uh, mm -hmm. If you haven't heard of that, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's remarkable what some of these contingency management interventions uh, have accomplished. Mm. Uh, and so the, the 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 I guess the the Reader's Digest version of contingency management basically is that you know uh, what what they'll do is you know and usually these things are administered out of like hospital or university settings, but if someone enters a contingency management intervention for a a, a substance use disorder, what happens is that they um uh they they go in for for uh frequent testing you need data mm -hmm. right for this to all work right mm -hmm. and, and uh whether it's a you know um um you know so if they if they are tested clean um they uh, they uh, participants receive contingent rewards uh for for maintaining mm -hmm. levels of sobriety uh and and uh, there, there's there's a huge huge literature in the efficacy, and if I'm not mistaken, I, it, from what I understand, it blows away everything else. Uh, now it's it's costly to some extent, but I don't know to how how I don't know if there's been any comparisons about what that would cost relative to like what a you know a 90 day inpatient treatment would be. That's got to be ridiculously expensive, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, you know. Uh, there's a there was an interesting episode uh, in in the Inside Java series. I forget what number in the series it was, but I interviewed a guy named Dr. Jesse Dallery from the University of Florida, and they actually put together and uh, they created an app, uh, and they also created like a um, they designed a a a, a smartphone based um, uh, sensor where if you're you know so they did a contingency management intervention f to help people stop smoking. Um, and so they had this thing oh, wow. you could blow in right into your phone. You just slapped it into the the lightning port or the whatever it was. Um, it would measure the, and it would be able, basically it would be able to tell whether you've been smoking or not within a certain span of time. Uh, and they, mm. they, they programmed this app to, uh, I might get some of the details wrong here, but they, they programmed this app to, to send out notifications and, and, and essentially cue people to test and the test was all mobile, right? So it's not like they had to go into like, a, you know, go into a hospital and like pee in a cup or anything, you know, any of those things that are, mm -hmm. again, you know, talk about, you know, barriers related to response effort, you know, a lot of those barriers were limited. So they were get they were able to help people stop smoking using a smartphone, an app, and this little device that, uh, that goes along with it. That's, wow. that's potentially game changing, you know? Um, and I think there are a lot of, other potential interventions like that. You know, I'll give you another example. Like I'm in, um, I'm in physical therapy right now for my shoulder. I have a shoulder impingement uh, in my left shoulder, um, and uh, which just means basically I can move this shoulder a lot less. My range of motion with this shoulder is terrible relative to this one. And when I try to move this one around at its extreme ranges, it, it, it starts to hurt. It's it's not fun. Um, so my physical therapists have given me these like lists of exercises to do and things like that. What's interesting mm -hmm. though, there was no like, um, uh, they just say, how's your exercise, how are your exercises going? Uh, anyone, any of them hurt when you do it? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, uh, there's, you know, I got really busy and I, you know, it was like a couple of days where I didn't do them. And, 
you know, like the, the, <clears throat> all of that to say is that, you know, I, I think more effort could be done to get people to be cooperative with their, their mm. exercise prescriptions and therefore mm -hmm. uh, get people through therapy faster uh, or, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and so, uh, you know, like, again, that, 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 that is, that's something that, uh, you know, is a behavioral intervention waiting to happen, whether it's through contingency management or an app that just reminds people, you know, you might start with something just really simple. Mm. Hey, did you do your, you know, you have this PT app and, you know, did you do your, this might already exist. And maybe I'm just going to a, you know, a provider that, that, that's kind of behind the, the tech curve, but, you know, so I, I, I think it's, I think it's things like that, that, that will, you know, um, it, it, so it's it's like almost the same answer to people like who ask the question. Uh, I, I love behavior analysis. I'm a BCBA. I don't want to work in, in autism. Mm. I want to do something different. Mm. That requires you to be entrepreneurial uh, mm. uh, in nature because you have to find your own application and be willing to, you know, uh, pursue that independently. You know, in other words, there's mm. no, there's no, there's no insurance company right now that is hiring for a BCBA to help them to design this yet to be designed app to, you know, for, to yep. help people be more cooperative with, with whatever, whatever health regimes that are, that are prescribed. Right. So Aetna is not, you know, does not have a, you know, uh, an ad on LinkedIn jobs. You know, you have to go out and make that job. There's a great paper yeah. by Matt Normand and Carolyn Cohn, um, I've talked about it very quite a quite a bit on uh, on the, the podcast. I, I I saw both of them at at ABAI again, uh, another ABAI reference, right? Uh, and uh, I I I implored them to update it because of this article was originally published in 2013 in, in the what was then the Behavior Analyst, which is now perspective perspectives on behavioral science. Uh, and, mm. and and they um, they went through this. It's a really well thought out paper, and uh, it's uh, basically about like it. It kind of talks about that question. You know, I want to do something different in behavior analysis. What's mm. it going to take to 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 be able to find jobs elsewhere? Um, so yeah, yeah. So that's an extremely long winded answer, I suppose, to my thoughts on dissemination. You know, and so I, I, again, I to again just to sum it up in case anyone fell asleep in the last few minutes you know like i, I think we're not going to aba itself is not going to become a household name unless you have autism uh mm -hmm. and um and it can have a household name that can go a couple different ways and it's all another kettle of yeah, fish yeah. Uh, and uh you know and, and to the extent to which we can achieve some meaningful level of dissemination it's going to be through you know uh entrepreneurial type of uh problem solving of, of existing mm. social problems I, I think that's really insightful. You know, as Matt, as you described that, so I actually used an app, this is probably a year or two ago, called Stick. I don't know if you're familiar with it, S-T-I-C-K-K. Yes, and it's, yes. it's all about like sticking to your goals. And the way it works is you set a goal for yourself and then you can have like an accountability buddy, someone that like email updates will go out to. And, um, <clears throat> but the, the, the really interesting thing, so my goal was, it was, I think my goal was like, I'm not going to eat after like 9 p.m. at night, right? Because sometimes I, I got me a sweet tooth and I, I, I'm going to go load up on sugar and, um, uh, and you know, just make the bad choices we make when we're kind of tired at the end of the day. So <laughs> I set a 30-day goal that I would not eat after 9 p.m. But here's a really interesting mechanic. 
you have to select if you don't make your goal uh, an organization that um, that uh, that gets donated to. And I remember actually hearing the, the the founder of the app on a podcast that talked about the most powerful donation is to an organization that you don't like. And so I, oh, yeah, I'm not going to review my, my political party, but like I picked a, a different political party and, um, and I, yep. uh, and I said that and guess what? Like 30 days, I crushed it. I absolutely crushed it. And then within yeah, a week, yeah. that, you don't want the, you know, the American Nazi party or something like that. Exactly, you know? right? <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, death, I guess I was just deathly afraid. And then I did it sometime later and, uh, I don't know, I only made it halfway through, but it's cause I think I had chosen like, you know, the children's defense fund or something like I really believed in. So sure, I don't know, sure. um, but it, yeah, it so was, you know, it was really neat. There, there, there's an actual example of that in a, a pre pre internet, uh, example of that in, um, Malat Whaley and Malat's, uh, fundamentals of behavior analysis textbook, the second edition mm. that I read as a sophomore or junior in college in the mid nineties. So again, to, Circling back to my earlier point, that 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 strategy has been around for 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 decades, mm -hmm. right? And that's just using simple avoidance, you know, uh, you know. So yeah, it's 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 you know. So that's an application. That's a that, that there's nothing complicated about the arrangement of of of, mm -hmm. of the stick app. It's you know, it, it's just the engineering of of the app and making sure it works, and you know, all all the technological handshakes between you know. Uh, making sure the app runs properly and, and, and whatnot. But yes, I've mm. heard of that app. Uh, and, uh, yeah. If, uh, and from what, yeah, I've heard the same thing too. You, you, you get more behavior change out of avoiding the, 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 uh, unpleasant outcome as opposed to, uh, you know, achieving the, the reinforcing outcome. Bingo, bingo. But then the behavior, at least my behavior didn't maintain once the punishment or <laughs> outcome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you, one of the things that that I really appreciate about your podcast is you provide like education, like CEUs, which is such a such an amazing service to to your listeners. And I'm curious, like, what are the topics of CEUs that have been most popular, and what do you think that says about the needs in our field? Well, I think that uh, you know, so some of the more popular CEUs oftentimes uh, have some of the more popular guests associated with them. So, you know, like I think, mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple of different confounding variables, I suppose, you know, so when I have an ethics CEU with Pat Fryman, right. And so Pat mm -hmm. Fryman is like the rock star of our field. Of course, everyone wants to hear him talk. He's, um, you know, he can open up the, 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 the yellow pages and recite them into a microphone and it would draw a crowd. People would stand around. It's and hear so it, true. You know? It's so true. Uh, I would. Uh, and, uh, and he's a neat guy. Uh, again, one of the, you know, just one of the things that, that one of the fun outcomes about this podcast is just being able to, to meet and develop relationships with all these people. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so Pat Pat is a uh, very popular. Uh, he, he he's featured in a couple of different uh, CEUs. Um, you know, Greg Hanley stuff is popular for sure. Uh, so we've done a lot of CEU stuff with the whole you know practical functional assessment approach. Um, mm. 
And I also think that, that people also want, uh, or, you know, so it's, it's interesting that like uh, the, the board requires us to have some number of ethics and some number of supervision CEUs every cycle. The mm. supervision ones are optional if you know if you're not supervising you i don't uh the rules have changed a couple of times but i believe that the way they are currently mm. uh you know if you're in the business of supervising people you need to take supervision ce's makes sense um mm. but everyone needs ethics uh and, and so you know the the ethics and supervision ones uh do sell well um so you know there's that um mm. so I, th I think that you know i i uh, so to answer your question about what does it say about our field, I would say is that, you know, people, people want to listen to the people that they like, uh, and, uh, people, mm -hmm. people need ethics. To <laughs> to, yeah. you know, so. Sometimes that's a good. Know, e I, yeah. 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 If you go to, if you go to ABAI and you, you see an ethics talk going on, usually it's like a lot of people are cramming in there. It's like, Oh, I got to get my ethics CEU. It's almost like, uh, you know, it's like, yay, I'm going to go by it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why it's like, it's work for those things. Oh, it's amazing. Another entrepreneurial niche to like the, yeah, I know. like let's make uh, ethics fun again. You know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's the CEO equivalent of Brussels sprouts, even though I actually like Brussels sprouts, but I'm kind of odd yes. in that regard. So uh, you know, as long as Brussels sprouts have butter and bacon, I'll tell you what. Yeah, there you go. The, yeah. But that feels like cheating to me. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> butter and bacon with your uh, ethics. Right? There you go. Right. I, I like how you're like reflecting. You have some really meaningful reflections on our field. And, um, uh, and I'm curious, like, let's look five to 10 years out. And what are like three bold predictions that you have for our field? Yeah. You know, I, I have, I don't have predictions. I have worries. Uh, I suppose, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I get this sometimes from other guests. They answer the question they, they, they want to answer. Um, so, I, you know, I, uh, and so they, 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 uh, they, they answer the question the way in which they imagined it would be asked or something. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, but so I, I, I don't, so a couple of things. Well, one is, uh, so I, I, I should say at the outset, I don't do any insurance funded work. My mm -hmm. clinical work is all cons consultation to schools. Uh, um, but I, I, I have had some exposure to that world. Uh, and I also know it just by observation of, of being in a field where most practitioners are doing insurance funded work. So, uh, I, uh, so I, I think, and, and our field's exploding so rapidly, uh, that, that it, that it's, it's, um, there, there's a lot of problems that are, that are, you know, that are concomitant with that explosive growth. And one, one of them is that, you know, there's no real, you know, yeah, we, I think the field needs to get, um, you know, and I know that people are already pursuing this, uh, you know, but we need to do better in terms of getting um, quantitative uh, measures of quality, of, mm -hmm. you know, quality of services. Um, you know, our, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes you hear these stories of these kids being in treatment for years and years and years and years, and they're still learning, mm -hmm. like, you know, you know, or people still trying to present trials of like, you know, basic receptive discrimination, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, well, they haven't made progress in this, you know, but you're getting the insurance reauthorization, like what's going on here, you know, and um, mm. that's a, that's a huge concern. Uh, 
you know, and um, uh, and I can see, you know, one of the other things that I'm, I don't know if I'm concerned or I'm more of a curiosity. I just interviewed someone about the whole concept of values-based care. Uh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think having, you know, I, I think at a certain point, funders will start to see, you know, okay, are these, you know, what what are the ways in which these clients are making progress? And if, if they're, you know, um, and uh, are there are there objective ways to measure their progress? Like you could send them their your graphs. One of the things we don't have, you know, and this is a, a, perhaps an argument for the standard acceleration chart. Um but uh, you know, w- when you make your graphs in Excel, or you know, you're doing it through Central Reach or your Rethink or whatever, you know, the, the all the graphs, you know, the 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 the, the critics of the uh, of the you know what we might call conventional graphing, we'll call those stretch and fill graphs because you can play around with the axes mm-hmm. uh, and and make them mm. show different things, you know. Um, mm. So again, that's just a bit of an aside, but you know, I guess where I'm going is that there's, you know, if, if there's not a standardized way of measuring, um, you know, at a certain point, insurance companies want to take a harder look at those things and say, hey, well, what the hell is going on here? Are these kids really making progress? Or you know, uh, I don't know, and, and is that going to impact their willingness to <clears throat> provide services to, um, you know, to people who really need it? You know, so. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I think I think that that's a worry. I don't know how that's going to play out in the next five years. I hope we do. You know, mm-hmm. my, my wish, it's not necessarily a prediction, it's more of a wish that we, we do have some standardization as it relates to how to measure quality and outcomes and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think I think there's I think that would be my biggest thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I know also there's a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about like the social model of disability as opposed to the medical model of disability. Uh, and, mm. and those are important issues to discuss. Um, you know, it's one of those things though, like, you know, if you if you push this, you know, if, if you take the logic of the social model of disability to its extreme, you know, at a certain point, mm. someone's like, well, this is a social issue, not a medical issue, you know? And again, I, I worry about mm. like the, wor- the worst, the least charitable interpretations of these otherwise very well-intended uh, I guess, uh, endeavors, right. <laughs> you know, you yeah, know, so, yeah. so what, what happens when the dog catches the car, right. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is just a social <laughs> problem. You know, well, we, we don't provide medical treatment for social problems, you know, <laughs> you know, like maybe I'm paranoid. I don't know, Jonathan, but those, those are, those are two, you know, that, that, that's something that that's been on my mind recently as well. Um, I, I had never thought about that uh, that idea of like the dog ch- catching the car and social mobility or social uh, models versus medical models. Oh, that's another thing that I'm going to put in my like worry bucket. Sorry. <laughs> I know it's you know I you know what I have to Matt, I always have to come back to like Mark Twain saying of like that like most of the things I've worried about in my life never end up happening. That's what yeah. I'm channeling. Yeah, yeah, and that, and, and you're you're. you're you and you and Mark Twain are likely right in this case, but and, and again, I just want to be abundantly clear. I don't think that I'm not I'm not saying that to mock the you know these types of conversations or you know to to, sure. to say that they're unimportant or whatever. I'm just you know I'm just, maybe just being paranoid, I guess. <laughs> well, I um, 
Matt, what's one thing that every ABA business owner should start doing and one thing they should stop doing? Okay. Well, let me start with the, the latter. Um, I, I don't own an ABA practice, so I, I wouldn't be in the position to tell people what to stop doing because I, I, I can only imagine. I, I've seen, I've seen, you know, I've got, um, I, I filled in for a behavior analyst who was on maternity leave a few years ago for about six weeks, six or eight weeks or whatever, and I saw what it takes to run, or I saw just a fraction of what it takes to run an ABA agency. Um, so I'd be hard pressed to, from an op, especially from like an operation standpoint to, to opine on that because I had, I, it's, it's so utterly complex that, you know, I, uh, um, but what I would say from a marketing perspective, I would say, you know, uh, if, if someone is in the, if someone wants to grow their practice, uh, at a certain point, you know, we were, we need to become savvy markers, especially if you're in an environment where there's some level of saturation of ABA providers. I know that might sound weird, um, but we, with wait lists and things like that, but we will get to a point where there's some market mm -hmm. saturation and you're going to have, you know, ABA centers like across the street from each other, like, like, right. You know, uh, yeah. and um, like dentists, much like dentists, you know, we, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I would encourage practice owners to really, and this might be depending on how big a practice you have. Uh, you know, some some of this stuff could be DIY. Some of the stuff you 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 you'd probably be better time better spent to hire out to do this. But to get your get your you know your kind of digital marketing game down. You know, one of the things mm -hmm. I've 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 learned through this you know, the, the podcasting process a little bit about how the digital marketing world works and, you know, what is, um, you know, um, what kind of website a business should have mm. on and, and, and what should be on that website. You know, so like mm. a lot of times, like on a website, like it, for some businesses, it might be like all about applied behavior analysis or all about the, the, uh, the clinical director and their degrees and things like that really what what a parent wants is they want to know how their pain points can be addressed and resolved you know so it's like you want to you know you want uh, you want to convey a message of how you can help them and and you don't help them by mm -hmm. rattling off your cv you help them by you know doing things like letting them know what your hours are what insurance you accept you know uh you know things like those lines um you know, you want to you want to convey the uh, the benefits, not the features of the product, if you will. You know, uh, that's right. You know, um, I, you know, uh, and and so there there's there's a, certainly an, an art and a science to to digital marketing. You know, also includes things like starting an email mm -hmm. list, uh, and mm -hmm. um, you know, cultivating an email list, and then communicating with the members of your list, the, the people on your list, mm -hmm. uh, in, in such a way where that most of the interactions you have are, are, are giving interactions, I meaning you're sharing knowledge and, and stuff like that. And every yeah. once in a while, there might be an ask, but for the most part, and I, I try to model that with my, um, my website's a bit of a mess, but the, the email list that I maintain is, uh, I, I try to model, I send out show notes to the episodes. Mm -hmm. So anyone who signs up for the email list, <clears throat> excuse me, um, gets, automatically gets the show notes zipped out to them within a few days of the episode going live. Uh, so you don't mm. even have to go to the, the, the website. And, um, and 
So I do that. And then every once in a while, I'll send out what I call an ask, you know, so if I have a sale, mm-hmm. or if I want to, if I'm, you know, if I'm tasked with marketing a particular conference or something like that, I'll send a standalone email uh, that says, Hey, I got this big mm-hmm. sale going on for CEUs, blah, 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 blah. Uh, check it out. Um, and I feel like I can do that because I've put in the, the the capital, if you will, the goodwill of, of sharing mm-hmm. the information, the show notes over time. Um, so I, I think there are ways in which we can learn from those folks in the digital marketing space to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to get savvy with those sorts of things. I've had a, um, I've had a guy named Rich Brooks. He's been on the podcast two or three times uh, to talk about these things. And uh, he's just a brilliant uh marketing mind and, and to that end too i would say uh you know again i don't want to lengthen anyone's to-do list but you know one thing would be that would be helpful is to start creating uh, uh content uh doesn't that you know that's which is not to say that you you need to start a podcast or a youtube channel or anything like that um mm. but uh uh but rather you know you could write um you know like parenting tips or things like that, you know, like, mm-hmm. like short little, you know, 300 word, you know, um, uh, blog posts, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, and again, those, those are things that you can have on your website. When you update your website pretty frequently, Google likes that. Uh, yeah. Google likes your website. That becomes, you know, people, when people say, oh, I need ABA in Sacramento, California, or in, you know, Wichita, Kansas, or whatever, you know, you're, you're more likely to, to rank uh, uh, on the on the first page of, of the Google results. You know, mm. so um, and, and the, that's that's content you can zip out to your email list. So there's a whole it's a whole process. But I think broadly speaking, you know, getting getting a, a solid uh, digital marketing game is, is, is well worth the investment. Absolutely. I, I you know, I like that idea of. Um... Sort of thinking about like keeping your website live, and and um, there's actually an add-on to Chrome, where it's like this 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 app. It's called I think it's called Uber Success. I'll drop it in the show notes. That'll actually show your quote-unquote website domain authority score. Um, oh wow! Uh, and uh, it's a number of one to a hundred, right? And it's it's based on everything from how often you update it to how many backlinks are there from other websites, to other things. So for, you know, business owners out there who have a website and, uh, um, uh, you know, install that app. It, it, it's been really interesting for me. I just learned about it about eight, nine months ago, uh, just to oh, see cool. the, the kinds of things to do it. But you're absolutely right. As you post content and helpful things that are building trust with your brand, it drives more people to want to come and, uh, and find you. And, and speaking yeah, of which, people Matt, want to know, know, like, and trust, you know, those are, those are, those are some key, key, uh, attributes to shoot for. Um, it was one other thing I was going to say on, on that topic, but, uh, it escapes me right now, but that's, it's fine. <laughs> but where can people find you online? Uh, yeah. Uh, behavioralobservations.com. Uh, and, uh, same thing with most of the socials, uh, you know, so facebook.com forward slash behavioral observations, Instagram behavioral observations, um, you know, uh, so uh, Twitter, it's some some absurd. It's like at behavior podcast or something like that, because behavioral <laughs> observations was too lengthy. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's yeah, pretty easy to find online. So. Nice. And I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a fantastic podcast. And um, 
if you like listening to building better businesses, you're going to like behavioral observations. So, um, Matt, are you ready for our hot take questions? Oh yeah. (laughs) So you're on your deathbed. What's one thing you want to be remembered for? Uh, this sounds kind of cheesy, but I just, uh, I would love people to just think uh, it would be nice if people thought of me as a, as a, as a good guy, you know, uh, that's kind of like, uh, you know, like it's probably as simple as I can put it. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. What's your most important self-care practice? Um, so I've got a couple different hobbies, you know, and I think that's something that uh, is, is, is important. It's been important to me. So um, I love uh, I love mountain biking. Uh, I'm going to the Kingdom mm-hmm. Trails in, in Vermont this weekend. Uh, if anyone in the Northeast is, who rides mountain bikes is familiar with the Kingdom Trails, it's, uh, it's a really cool place to ride. I'm really looking forward to that. So I've got a friend who has a place up there. It's a bunch of guys. We're going to go ride bikes and have a bunch of fun up there so that's that's awesome uh um you know i like to uh, you know i, I like to uh, pretend i can play guitar on a good day i see you've got a guitar there in the background that's cool um you know and and, and i i live in northern new england so I, I i you have to have an outdoor winter activity if you want to survive the what seems like eight months of winter a year uh, yeah. so, you know, I like, uh, snowmobiling and skiing and things like that. So you, you, and it's, it's, for me, it's been gratifying to have stuff to do that has nothing to do with behavior analysis or anything like that. All my friends that I spend time with outside of work or what have you, um, don't know anything about behavior analysis other than what I tell them. Mm. So, it's, you know, so, you know, so, um, <laughs> You know, my, my friends are either like in sales or they're manufacturing or, you know, whatever, you know, just random, random, normal jobs, you know? <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, you know, we, we share a mutual passion for mountain biking. Um, so that's, oh, nice. that's one of the small handful of things that puts me in my flow state. And uh, so when you come out to Colorado, we're going to go get after it. on bikes. Oh, yeah. And if I, when I make it out to Vermont, New Hampshire, this kingdom trail sound pretty, uh, oh. pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Good stuff. What's your favorite song? Uh, Red Barchetta by Rush. I'm a huge Rush fan. Um, so I know it's not everyone's oh. cup of tea. It's, it's, it's That's like one of those things. It's like it's like a litmus. It's like there's no people like, oh, I kind of like them. It's usually like I can't stand them or I'm, you know, I have every album and no it, other. Oh. <laughs> it's true I, and you know what I, so i love rush I, I i don't know all their birthdays but i i agree with kidding. you on that and i and, <laughs> well i i think rush is like a gift and i'm on record saying they are a gift to the world and i'm spilling some out right now for neil pert who passed away uh, uh, still one of still so much still gets me that i'll never see them live again yes uh, uh they're amazing yeah yeah Matt, if you could give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, uh, I would. So I would say. I would say find something active you like to do. Like I discovered a lot of these kind of like activities, if you will, physical activities uh, kind of later in life. I've always I always did them, Mm -hmm. but not nearly as frequently as I do now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I suppose I have more more time to do it now, you know, whereas, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, we're in neat. I was knee deep in like little kids running around the house. You know, my kids are all teenagers mm-hmm. now. And, um, but, uh, 
regular exercise and physical activity uh, was something I came to appreciate uh, later. And uh, if I, you know, uh, fortunately, I, I don't, I, I don't think it resulted in any deleterious health consequences yet. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I sometimes wonder, you know, like if I was, you know, mountain biking three or four times a week or, you know, whatever, uh, doing some other type of physical activity or exercise reg involved in some sort of exercise regimen from, you know, 18 on, you know, mm -hmm. until now I might be, in a, you know, quite a bit of better shape, I suppose, you know, but yeah, I would, I would just say, mm. stress the importance of getting on that. And, and, and even when life is really busy is to find some time for that sort of activity. For sure. Well, if you could only wear one style of footwear, what would it be? This is a tough one. Uh, so I, I would say, uh, <laughs> you know, depend, you know, gosh, uh, I, I love, sh you know, it's gonna sound so bougie, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of really picky about my shoes. Uh, so <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> but, so I love, I love, uh, I just discovered I, I'm on my second pair now, but I love them and they're, they're obscenely expensive, but I love the, the, these, these running shoes called Hoka's. Uh, hmm. They're, they're like, uh, they're like walking on clouds. They're unbelievably cushiony. They're, they're fantastic. I love them. Um, and so it's a toss up between that and Keens. I wear a lot of Keens. I, mm. like my, uh, um, I don't know. If, I can't remember what number pair I have, uh, but um, uh, I, I, I usually buy one pair and I wear them every day. Like that's like my work shoe and I wear it every single day. Wear, wear that same pair. And, and, and I, I wear them out and, and get a new pair. And so it's just, well, they're, they're, uh, they're great. So I would, I would say it's a toss up between those two. I mean, that the imagery that you call to mind, this idea of walking on clouds is I, now I've got to figure out how to get some hokas. Uh, <laughs> that's phenomenal. Matt, until, until, thank you see, until you see the price tag. They, they, right, <laughs> yeah. man, so maybe, maybe I don't need to walk on clouds today. You know, maybe, I can, you know, I'm just joking. Uh, but everything's expensive it, these days. So it's like, yeah, everything like, well, is what expensive. That, what the hell, you know, it's like. <laughs> I, uh, I, I so appreciate you coming on the pod. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and time, Matt. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. What up, listeners? Hey, I got something for you. If you like my Building Better Businesses and ABA podcast, you're going to love the Behavioral Observations podcast with Matt Sicoria. So I recently met Matt at ABAI, and let me tell you, I was just an instant fanboy. Matt's the real deal. His pod is all about stimulating talk for today's behavior analysts. So session 191 on his pod is on the behavior analysis of lying. That's right, lying. How awesome is that? Who does that? He also talks social skills, act, FAs, and so much more. His guests include Greg Hanley, Jonathan Tarbox, and other legendary names in our field. And as a BCBA, you can even get CEU credits through behavioral observations. You can find Matt and the behavioral observations podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy friends. Thanks for listening to building better businesses in ABA podcast. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode. In the meantime, please like subscribe, share, and comment. We value your feedback. 
Don't forget to follow us on social media at elementrcm.ai.